Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. Good morning to you. We are four weeks into studying this letter written by the New Testament leader, James, uh, to the scattered church across the Roman Empire. And today we are uh, spending most of our time in the second half of chapter two. Uh, But before we do that, I want to review what James said at the end of chapter one, uh, where he talked to us about Bible study. Uh, James says... When you read the Bible, let it change you. Don't listen to a sermon. Don't read your Bible as some kind of daily obligation. Uh, It's a waste of time. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the only book in its class. So when you read the Bible, you ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the words to you and to enlighten you in such a way that your behavior following the reading of the word is affected. And you'll notice it. Uh, don't ever access the powerful truth of scripture in, a, uh, in say, a trivial way. And then give yourself permission to walk away and do nothing uh, that reflects what you read. The proof of effective Bible study is action. And James calls this true religion, and that's why I wanted to go back to chapter one for just a couple of minutes. Verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And, and it will promote true religion. And then he says, religion that, uh, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, looking after orphans and widows in their distress and keeping yourself polluted from the world. See, that's a good goal for a day. Look after widows and orphans in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. The world uh, is a polluted place these days. I was watching TV with my grandson and a supposed uh, children's channel the other day. And uh, I don't know who decided that that was a children's channel, but we had to turn it off because it was just polluted. And, uh, and, and, and he even, I, he said, Grandpa, we shouldn't be watching this. And I, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, and it turned it off. <laughs> All right, so in today's text, James is going to unpack this thought further, the thought of our actions proving our faith. And that's the takeaway today. Uh, after that, 
you really could uh, just put it on autopilot for the whole rest of the time I'm talking because this is the takeaway, these words. Ready? Say them with me. Our actions prove our faith. Do it again. Our actions prove our faith. Our actions prove our faith. Real faith always results in some kind of action. A true, a true Christ follower uh, is outed not by what they say, but by what they, they do. James goes as far as to say that any so-called faith that doesn't result in some kind of action is actually just a, a dead faith. Like you could look at a body and say, well, that body's alive, and then someone else would say, well, it's not moving, it's not breathing, it's not, there's nothing going on there. You question whether, uh, uh, well, verse 17, faith, 117, faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead. There isn't any, any daylight between your true beliefs and your true faith. You can say you believe something, but if you don't act on it, you, you don't believe it. So allow me to ask you a question. Are you ready for one of my questions? I know it's early. If someone was observing you this past month, and not every single thing you do, because we all stumble, but I'm talking about the, the arc of the month. If someone observed you since, even say, the beginning of February, watching what you did, not what you said, what you did, would they see enough evidence of Jesus in you to say, you know what, I think she's a Christ follower. I think she's a Christian. And the more they got to know you, would this bring out a reaction in them of any kind, a response of any kind? Yeah, their reaction isn't your responsibility, and I'm not even saying it would be a positive reaction. Maybe they can't stand Christians. Um, you know, Pastor Andy Stanley posted uh, this past week a guy, uh, a guy told him he was sitting on a plane quietly reading his Bible when the guy next to him looked and saw what he was reading and started making like, <laughs> you know, and he looked over, he goes, was you all right? And he said, why are you reading that? He said, it's my Bible, that's what I, he said, how can you, how can you <clears throat> believe in a God? that would kill little children in the Old Testament. What do you think about that? And the guy said, well, honestly, I, I don't think about it. Um, I didn't become a follower in Christ because of something I read in the Old Testament that I don't understand. Uh, I became a follower of Christ because I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that I will experience the resurrection. Oh. He said, you know, I think your question's an interesting one because I don't know you and that's how you started a conversation with me. Are you okay? He said, I'm wondering if your question is, would be better phrased, does God love people? Or how could I understand God better? And the guy says, you yeah, know, Okay. He said, well, I can help you with that. And then they had a great conversation, an intelligent, uh, nice uh, conversation. And it came around to him sharing with him about how Jesus loves people. And that's why Jesus came, because uh, that Old Testament God might have been uh, misunderstood. Um, so that, what's interesting is that guy, just, just by reading his Bible, was demonstrating his faith. And he wasn't doing it to make a point. He was doing it because he likes to read his Bible. 
But that's what James is saying. It's, it's sometimes not these big, huge gestures. It's just as we, as we breathe in and breathe out our faith, then, uh, you know, like every four seconds, uh, my body, my brain tells my lungs to get busy. And that's what our faith does to our actions. Uh, if I have a real faith, then then, then uh, I naturally start doing things, things that I would not have done had I not had the faith in Jesus. Uh, we recently had a baptism gathering in Livermore, and one of the men baptized told me that in his old days, he really didn't think much about other people's stuff, other people's pain. Uh, but he said, I've changed so much now. He said, now, if I find out someone's hurting, he said, it hurts me until I can pray for them. He says, I just, this was crazy. He goes, the receptionist from my doctor's office called to reschedule an appointment I had, and she's, and I said, well, can I ask why you're rescheduling? She said, oh, you haven't heard. The doctor's very sick, he's in the hospital. And he said, immediately, I went, I shifted from being irritated that my appointment was being rescheduled to thinking, well, wh which hospital? Where, how can I pray for him? I wanna visit with him. And she, you know, she wouldn't tell me where he was. But even as he related the story to me, he got big tears in his eyes thinking about his doctor that was sick. And he even said, look at me, look at me. I'm a wreck. Jesus has wrecked me. And that's what James is talking about. Jesus wants to wreck you. And the way he wants to do it is through your faith in him. He wants to turn you into him. Because he's the God who would literally die to fix someone else's pain. Now, over, over time, this kind of attitude is observable to anyone in our circle. Um, it's not every day. I mean, people can't read your attitude every day, and you have bad days and good days. But over time, uh, whether it's the people you stand, you know, you, you, you all watch your daughters play soccer, and you end up chatting, or people at work, and, and you know, they see how you handle customers, how you handle tough meetings, uh, uh, decisions you don't agree with, uh, people at work that are, the, you know, the EGRs, the extra grace required, and they see all of that, and it, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, your husband. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> when people see what you, what you do, it, can, it then reflects on what you believe because our faith drives our actions. Uh, this re weekend, uh, or this week, uh, my friend Christina joined the, uh, the team that works on the sermon. And we were sitting there Thursday, and I had my notes out, and I was telling them some of the different things I was thinking about sharing, and then they, they give their input, and it's, it's a great process. And Christina's a delightful Christian. Uh, she's uh, one of the most caring people. She heads up a ministry uh, for the, to the homeless. And when we got to this place in the discussion, she jumped in. She goes, well, I know you guys think that I always have loved homeless people. And everybody's like, yeah, you're, you have a ministry to homeless people. She goes, okay, that's my Christian me. She said, before I met Christ, she said, not only did I not help homeless people, I, I judged them, I, I didn't wanna, I avoided them. And she says, Jesus is, now we had always assumed that she, we had assumed that she had always had this passion, that she grew up as a little girl and said, when I get older, I'm gonna help people. She goes, oh, no, 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 I would, I know. She says, my faith has become a verb. Faith becoming a verb. Okay, if you can handle 
learning one more thing today. Learn this phrase. Here it is. Say it. Now, what's a verb? We got any English majors in here? Yeah. So now let's go to chapter 2, verse 14, uh, because James is going to call out several different expressions of true faith in Jesus. Here's the first one. Uh, Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? That's a good question. What good is my faith to anyone around me, especially anyone within the church, because James is saying it's the church's job to take care of its own. Now, there's other New Testament passages that talk about how we take care of people out there, but that's not this one. This one is your brothers and sisters uh, and, 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 and to take care of them. And by the way, that's why we encourage all of you to join a community group, a smaller group, uh, a ministry team, to, have, to be in a group, of, a smaller group than this, Because if you're just in this group two, three times a month, you can come and go, and we don't know you, we don't, and you know what's sad is, if you fall upon hard times, we won't reach out to you, because we won't know. And then what's really weird is, you may even then resent that. No one called, no one, uh, and it's like, well, how would, we didn't know. How would we have known if you had not joined a smaller group? And, and, And what's fascinating is, uh, our community groups, they take care of each other. If you, you, you're, it's, it's very common in a community group for them to find out that somebody in the group is going through a hard time and they'll quietly pass uh, an envelope or whatever and then they, they'll hand that community group member money. And oh man, that is so humbling when your friends give you money. Ugh, the worst. I mean, you can buy me dinner, but that's about it. Don't hand me cash. I'm not needy, Okay. But the problem is sometimes we really are and the group will say, no. And then sometimes the need is so great that the community group can't handle it. So that's when they call the care group, the campus pastor, uh, whatever. So I would just say this. If you know of anyone in our fellowship that's needy, number one, reach into your own wallet and your own purse because that's what Christians do. And then if if you can't meet the need, if it's more than just what you've got, then you tell your community group. And then, you're, you're, and then if your group can't meet the need, then you, that's when you call the church. Hey, so-and-so's in need. We've done what we can. We can't cover this whole thing. Can you help? And uh, we are glad to do it. And the, the thing is, if we're all watching out for each other like this, it'll be really hard for, for anyone to fall through the, the cracks. And that's what James is saying. A faith-filled congregation takes care of its own, sacrificing time and treasure when one of our own falls on hard times. Um, And I love how he specifically mentioned taking care of widows and orphans. Did you catch that? Widows and orphans. And there's other people we take care of, but in this passage he says widows and orphans. And the reason I love it is Cornerstone, we have a a ministry that cares for widows and and, and their children. And and it's, it's pretty cool. It was started by a men's group here at Cornerstone. It's called Missing Man ministry and the leader of Missing Man will find out that there's a widow in need and they just spring into action. And uh, they meet with her and then, and then there's financial counseling and jobs uh, counseling and just whatever she needs. She's lost her husband and she's got to keep moving forward. Then usually there's children. And uh, so they'll do all kinds of stuff. They'll show up at your house and, 
and uh, take care of you. There was a woman, uh, one of, there's, they have so many stories, but uh, one, one, of the, one of the women had lost her husband and she needed income, like, pretty quick. She said, well, you know what, I've gotta be home. I can't, I, I've got the, the kids, uh, but if I, if I could clean out my garage and convert it into a childcare, uh, I, could, I could bring in income and stay home. And the guys are all, that's great. Next thing you know, they're over at her house, completely remodeling her garage and turning it into a business. And, and then there were business leaders in the group that helped her figure out how to set things up uh, to run this business so she could work uh, at home until uh, the kids were old enough that if she could do something different or even just expand this uh, daycare of hers. And, 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 and as she tells the story, it's like, yeah, the most beautiful thing was not what they did. It was that they did it. That I lost my husband, but there were these other Christian men who stepped in and were, were willing to help me in that way. And, you know, these guys are, are living out James 127. Um, and the, the, their website uh, is there uh, for you. If you want to get involved, you could get involved with them. And if you, you don't have the time to get involved, like physically, you could just give them money. And then they'll use that uh, for their, the research. It's all volunteers. So the money goes for, for the ministry. Um, and, you know, when you think about orphans, Cornerstone is also a Bay Area leader when it comes to foster care. And uh, our Brentwood campus, our Livermore campus, our, our Walnut Creek campus lead the way in Contra Costa and Alameda County uh, when it comes to child advocacy, uh, foster care, foster to adopt. Uh, and you could get involved. You could be trained as a foster parent, and uh, soon there could be another, you'd be set in another place at the table for dinner and uh, helping uh, the Bay Area's children whose parents can't help them anymore. And, uh, or you say, well, I, we can't go that far, but what could we do? Well, if you go on the, the Cornerstone Outreach website, there's a, a, it's called Care Portal, Care Portal. And you just, you sign up, and then needs start coming across, and you grab one of them. It says, well, this foster kid needs a new coat. Well, this foster kid needs lunch money. Well, this foster kid needs a new bed. They've moved him into the house, but they're sleeping on the floor. Could we get him a bed? And then you say, you just, you just buy whatever they need, and boom, you just met the need. And that's what James is talking about, where you say, I'm actually going to do something. Or maybe you want to help the poorest of the poor in another country. If you want to sponsor a child in another country, we've got children waiting for sponsorship in Kenya, Haiti, Peru, Belize, Mexico, and we could line that up this week with you. And next thing you know, you're writing letters to your sponsored child. And they're sending you, uh, I got a letter from my kid in Belize the other day. I got a letter from uh, Guatemala the other day. It's fabulous uh, to think. You know, I would say everyone, everyone I, every American should take care of another child somewhere. And, and then there are those of us who say, well, I've never been able to have children. This is the way you can have children. And uh, so it's a beautiful thing. Now, when it comes to this text, let's be very clear. James is not saying, do all these things and that'll get you into heaven. Is he? How do we get into heaven? There's only one way to get into heaven, and that's by believing totally in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And here's why. All those good things that you're doing isn't gonna tip the scale of all that other stuff you did. Okay, seriously. God's not up there going, well, just do a little more good, a little more good. Oh, there she is. She made it. 
no. Jesus has to tear out the root before the fruit is produced. And then he, he replants us, and, and all of a sudden you go, oh, I, now I'm a pear tree. You know, it's like you, 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 he's the one who saves you. He's the one who changes you. Then that produces these actions. And on the other hand, don't read James and then feel bad that you're not doing enough Christian things. Don't do a bunch of, bunch of stuff to try to make your actions match your beliefs. Just make sure your beliefs are where they need to be and your actions will follow. James is not a letter to get you, like a guilt trip, to get you to do more. And I understand how these passages do sound like that, like do more, do more. Uh, but friends, focusing on behavior modification is, is a very religious thing to do, but it's a waste of time. Um, just focus on Jesus and, and, and ask him to change you and make you more like him. And next thing you know, your core beliefs will start driving uh, your actions because Jesus didn't come to earth to get us to start doing a few better things. He didn't come to earth to make good people better. He came to earth to make dead people come to life. You feeling dead this morning or are you, are you alive? And once you're truly alive in Christ, no one will have to coax you into doing good things or taking life risks. And no one will, you know, you're very humbled by this process. You know, Jesus confronted the, 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 the most prideful people of his day, which were the religious leaders. And they couldn't stand it the way he talked and how he spoke to them. Um, you know, they would be like, who do you think you are? We are Jew, Jewish, and we're Jewish leaders. We're the children of Abraham. We have traced our lineage back centuries. You can't even trace, trace your lineage past your own mom. And oh, they were really rude to Jesus, accusing him uh, of these things. You know, we, we, we are children of Abraham. We keep Sabbath. We memorize Torah. We don't commit big sins. I think we're Okay. Well, James's letter attacks this sense of uh, religious entitlement. Now, centuries later at Cornerstone, Catholics gather with Protestants and we swap stories with each other. The Catholics say, I was baptized as a baby and I was told, well, you were baptized and I went through confirmation. Well, you went through confirmation. I attended mass and you know, I, I went to confession sometimes. Uh, I did my penance. You know, surely that at least gets me a place in purgatory. And the Protestant says, well, our version of that is this. I prayed a prayer at camp uh, in sixth grade. And uh, I came home and my mom said, well, you must be chosen. You're predestined. Uh, you, yeah, you're awesome. You're in. And I behaved myself for a while and then I haven't behaved myself since. But when I die, I'm still saved, sealed, and delivered, you know, for heaven. So I got that going for me because uh, I'm predestined. I'm chosen. And James would, would come at both groups like Jesus did to the Jews. You, you're deceived. Religion has deceived you and lulled you to sleep. Um, yeah. So the takeaway of all of the book of James, but especially for this message is, it's what we do for others today that proves our faith, not a prayer we prayed way back when. Um, real faith produces real-time action. A real follower of Jesus just obeys those two commands Jesus said we need to obey. Wasn't Jesus great to narrow it down to two commands? What did he say? Here's the two commands. If you just do these, you'll, you'll do all the rest of them. What did he say? You shall... Oh, you got it. 
You're like, well, I don't have it, and the person next to me is not talking loud enough. Okay, <laughs> first one. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you are. And you, or you can say with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, or your strength, or you can just say, love the Lord with everything you are, everything you have, love him. And the second command is this, equally as great, what did he say? Love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. James is just agreeing with that. All right, so the, the number one way James, not number one, but the first way James says that we express our faith is by taking care of widows and orphans, taking care of people in need. Here's the second way we express our faith. Verse 20, look at it. In verse 20, James, or we'll, let's go to verse 21, because in 20 he's just like, but in 21, he shifts the conversation to this. Uh, we demonstrate our faith by taking obedient risks. Faith is faith because you don't know what's gonna happen. So then James brings up um, Father Abraham. Verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So Abraham, he's a wealthy man. Uh, when he meets the real God for the first time, he's living a great life uh, in the region we now know of as Iraq. And God told Abraham to pack everything up and say goodbye to family and friends, move his immediate family West, which he did, starting a lifetime journey with where, where God proved himself to Abraham, and sometimes Abraham proved himself to God. You can read about this both in Hebrews chapter 11 and in Genesis, um, and especially how God made Abraham and his wife Sarah some pretty big promises, one of those promises being that they were going to be the father and mother of many nations of people, which is interesting because this couple were already in their old age when they received that promise and they hadn't had one child yet. Years go by until finally they have this one son. Well, they had had another one, but it was in an uh, artificial insemination sort of way. Uh, but then they have this son uh, naturally between the two of them, and so they have one kid. And that, through that kid now is what? Going to come all this other. Um, and, uh, and then God tells Abraham, take that one son to the top of that mountain and in, a, in, a, in what looks more like a Canaanite ritual, sacrifice that first son to me. And that couldn't have made any sense at all to Abraham. But his obedience was pure and it reflected his faith in God. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham went ahead and did that or started to do it, because he believed that after he killed his son that God would raise his son from the dead. That's how much he believed in God, because he said, well, it's not logical, therefore. But then, of course, before Abraham had a chance to carry out this, this crazy worship service that God required of him, he, God provided a ram, which uh, Abraham sacrificed as a substitute offering for his own Son. Now this story is completely packed with meaning about a later father and a later son on the same hill and the son that actually was sacrificed. But for today's story, it's all about Abraham's obedience 
um, where he obeyed before he understood, and that made him a model of faith. Now, I've never done anything close to that. My sons are appreciative. Um, <laughs> a couple of times I thought about it. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But Brenda and I did once leave somewhere not knowing where that was going to take us. And that one season shaped our faith for the rest of our lives. Uh, it was 1992. We were in our mid-30s raising three boys. And God was tapping us on the shoulder and saying, leave your current ministry job and I've got something else for you. And I'm like, okay. So I put the word out among all the different contacts I had to find another ministry job because my dad told me, don't ever quit a job till you have another job, right? Dads, right? But the Holy Spirit wasn't making it easy. He kept tapping me on the shoulder and, uh, and I kept arguing with him. Lord, if the, you know, this... This was, if this was just me, I get it, but I've got a wife, I've got three kids, I've got a mortgage, I get, yeah. And then my middle son was diagnosed with an incurable uh, hip disease, uh, and we needed the health coverage. And I just remember arguing with God, and God says, man, back in the day, you told me you'd go anywhere, do anything. Now it's come down to health coverage. Why don't you let me be your health coverage? And I'm like, eh, God, it doesn't work that way. I think you don't understand. But the Holy Spirit kept tapping us on the shoulder, and finally, I just obeyed, and, and we left that place not having a place to go, and uh, picked up some odd jobs, and depended on the, our gracious friends, and started a Bible study in our home, and then the Lord started healing our son, and, uh, and then the Bible study took off. And here we are today. Forever changed. What if we hadn't done that? We would, we would have been, I'd have been a, I don't know what I would be by now. But not this. See, your faith makes you who you are. Your faith creates something in you that didn't exist. Your faith speaks things into existence that are not So James talks about Abraham, but then he brings up this other character, and she's wonderful, but she's, James could not have selected two more opposite people as demonstrations of faith. Who does he talk about next? See it? Rahab. And who's Rahab? Not Abraham. Not Abraham. Uh, verse 25, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different uh, direction. Uh, it, James brings up, and what a juxtaposition of human beings, but it's, he does it on purpose to just get the whole spectrum. Rahab to Abraham and everything in between is who I'm talking to. Um, and this gal, she is, she's fearless. Uh, she lives in, the, the, her home is built into the wall there at Jericho, and uh, and the spies were sent in by Joshua, and she hides the spies in her house, and the king of Jericho sends guys to knock on her door. Hey, we saw the spies coming in. Have you seen them? Are they here? Are you okay? And she said, oh, they were here, but they went that way. And the, the, guard, the guards go off on a wild goose chase, and she pulls the guys out and says, I think you guys need to get moving. And, but before you go, I, I want to put my faith in your God. 
and uh, I know you're going to conquer our city, and when you do, would you spare my life? That's all I'm asking. And they went further. They said, listen, and they had no idea. They don't know what they're saying. They didn't even know the walls were going to come down. They say, hang a scarlet cord out the window, out the wall, and then the scarlet cord, when we attack, your fan, whoever's in this house will be spared. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The walls fell, uh, and, her, and her household were spared. What's fascinating about Rahab is that then when Israel moved on, she went with them, and she joined them. She was adopted into the tribe of Judah. She married a guy named Salmon. Um, Salmon and uh, she, they had a son named Boaz. Boaz met Ruth. They married. They had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named King David. Well, he wasn't named King David. <laughs> David, which makes Rahab, the converted Canaanite prostitute, one of Jesus's great-great-great-great-grandmas, which is what I love about Jesus. And James says, Rahab's faith is the kind of faith that God is calling you to. Abraham's faith was to leave Ur of the Chaldees, to trust God for everything, to join a new a whole new scenario. Rahab's face was to leave Jericho, to trust God, and to, to start a whole new thing. That's what God might be calling you to as well, to take great risks, all based on the scarlet cord that was hanging out of the window. That scarlet cord, that was no accident that, that it was scarlet. It's supposed to visually point us to a later bloodstained tunic that will be laying at the, on the ground at the foot of the cross uh, with a tunic that is now stained scarlet with blood that has purchased our salvation. And we hang on to that. And then when the walls of the world, when everything falls around us in the final day, we're, we're spared and our household is spared. Um, and then just like Rahab is adopted into a, a Judah's family, we're adopted into, into God's family. All because of what Christ did, but also matched with our belief. Because Christ does all the heavy lifting, but you still have to believe. And belief is work. Um, you move toward Jesus, believing that his death and resurrection has everything to do with your, with you. And, you, and that's faith, because if you're wrong, you, 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 by the time you find out you're wrong, it'll be too late. But you're not wrong, but if you were, so that's why it's faith. So to take risk. You know, Jesus often called people to, to, to risk something before they experienced a miracle. You remember there was that man in Capernaum that had the withered hand, and Jesus came up to him and said, hey, stretch forth your hand, which is a very insensitive thing to say to a person who can't stretch forth their hand. And Jesus is going to be insensitive with you as well. Hey, do this. And you're going to go, that's the one thing I can't do. Exactly. There was this other guy, uh, had never seen anything. He was blind since birth, and, uh, and, and Jesus uh, picks up some dirt and spits into it and makes a couple of mud balls and puts them in the guy's eyes. Also rude. <laughs> Just saying. Then he tells the guy, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, that you, you don't know this. Those of you that go with us to Israel, you know how far the Pool of Siloam was from. It was a long walk over rough. The guy's blind. 
Why didn't he say, go wash, wash in this pool? Go wash, or, or I'll lead you, or I'll wash. No, rude. <laughs> go wash in the pool of Solomon. What's he doing? <laughs> He's calling out faith. The guy goes and washes his eyes out, and he can see now. The story gets really funny after that, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but the one part I love is, 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 is they ask him, well, who healed you? And he's like, I don't know. I was blind until about 15 <laughs> minutes ago. That's <laughs> just so good. And they're like, well, why, 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 do you, you know, why didn't you come to us? And he's like, really? I've been coming to you guys for years, you know? I just met the guy, and he healed me. I think I'm going to follow after him. I, I love this. It's one of my favorites. Another favorite story, and definitely the favorite of my wife, is uh, this woman that catches up to Jesus in Capernaum. She's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. She's anemic, dizzy. But there's a crowd around Jesus, and she's not going to be denied. And she reaches through, and she grabs Jesus. And she actually doesn't grab Jesus. She grabs his, uh, his clothing. Um, there's a beautiful painting of this uh, in, near the site where it happened. You guys want to put that up? Um, see, she, had, she, had, she knew from reading the prophet Malachi that when Messiah came, he would carry healing in his clothing. And it was a, she literally believed he had healing in his clothing. I mean, it was, a, it was a poetic metaphor that Malachi said. And she's like, it's in his clothing. Grab his tunic. So she reaches through and grabs it. And sure enough, Jesus felt the healing power go from his body. He said, who touched me? The disciples were like, Jesus, really? Who touched you? <laughs> he goes, and, and, then, and then she identified herself, and then he, he says, daughter, 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 uh, go in peace. Then he says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Hmm. But it was only when she acted in faith that she was healed. It's only when the man with the withered hand stretched it out that he was healed. It's only when the, the, the blind guy with mud in his eyes washed it out that he was healed. That's what James is calling us to. Faith that activates a miracle that's already there. Friend, that's how you're gonna get your miracle. You're gonna start believing for it again. And you're gonna act on your faith. I, I got an email from Tiffany uh, just like 10 days ago. I wanna read some of it to you. Timothy says, hi, Pastor Steve. My four-year-old son was scheduled for surgery on his right hand this morning. His finger was painfully stuck in the pulled position for more than six weeks. Just stuck. Four-year-old, his finger, he, he, it was, they, they, we saw a specialist, they said, we have to operate. It's not going to get better. But I was very concerned having my son go under anesthesia. So on Saturday night, I brought him forward, and a man named Gene prayed for him. And I asked him to pray for a safe procedure for protection for my son when he's under anesthesia. Gene put my little boy up on the stage. We gathered together, and he prayed for protection. But then he went further, and he prayed for complete healing in my son's hand. <clears throat> she said, I, I hadn't really thought to pray that. That's a lot. We arrived at the surgery center at 8.30 this morning, and I had him, I dressed him in his little scrubs, and I was there he was, you know, he was nervous, restless. I was nervous and restless. And she says, but I felt compelled to hold his, his wounded hand. And she goes, as I was holding it, I felt led to manipulate it and move it around. She goes, that was not a good idea. You know, he, he would have screamed in pain. But she said, as I was doing it, he just was talking to me. He didn't even know, realize what I was doing. She said, 
So the surgeon came out just for that final prep before taking him in. She goes, could you just examine his hand one more time? Could you? The surgeon looked at it and she said, just. And the surgeon twisted it, manipulated it, moved it out. He, she said, this boy doesn't need surgery. He has full range of motion and no, no pain. Why would we, why would we do that? She went over and canceled the surgery. She said, how's your seat? God healed my son. God healed my son. That's exactly like God could heal someone else today. Um, and as we prepared this sermon, we did so knowing that the simple message of putting legs to your faith uh, could produce both immediate and lasting results, but it also could produce another disappointment. And that's why we're, we always want to encourage faith, but then we want to prepare you in case God doesn't do what you ask him to do, because that happens. And then it takes even more faith after he disappoints you to follow after him. But you know what? We don't let that stop us because we've also seen miracles in this very room. Big stuff. In a few moments, uh, the worship team will come out and they'll lead us and then, and then the prayer team will come and, and, and you'll be invited to come forward and you'll have to decide, do I want to ask, do I want to ask again? Last night when I was preaching, there was a, a young woman sitting um, over in this direction, and I, I know her, and, and I know that for 18 years she's been struggling with a terrible uh, equilibrium problem. And uh, she's a mom, and, she's, and she, she's still in church, still believing in the Lord. And I went over to just talk to her and her parents, and they all said, hey, would you pray, would you pray for her again? And I, I thought, I, I'm so glad you're still trusting for your miracle. I don't know if I would have given up by now. So we prayed again, and maybe I'll be up here soon telling you the story of, of her healing. But I will say that this, um, keep asking. Keep the faith. And then let God be in charge of the results. Um, it's the season of Lent, and during Lent we give up something. Uh, I think some of us need to give up our unbelief for 40 days. Give up your unbelief just for 40 days. And just believe and act on your belief and see what happens, okay? Okay, that's enough, I'm done. Father, how grateful I am for the opportunity to share these words by James, the great leader, great author. And Lord, we're challenged uh, with the faith of Abraham, we're challenged with the faith of Rahab, we're challenged to be people who watch out and care for those less fortunate, and we're challenged to be those who reach out in faith, believing. And so, Lord, as, as we do that now, we pray for those that will be asking for miraculous things. We pray that you work that miracle in their lives just because of your love for them and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.